Hello, and welcome to Heart Points, a one-to-one RPG actual play podcast. I'm your husband and GM, Zach. And I'm your wife and player, Diana. And this is the Series 1 Segaranza Retrospective. Yay, we finished! <laughs> How are you doing, my darling? I'm so happy that we finished! Are you? I am. I needed a break. Gonsa sound was exhausting. She's too Diana. She's... A lot Diana. Pretty Diana. She's very Diana. <laughs> and I needed a break from Diana. <laughs> She's like the worst parts of me. She's the worst parts of me. With a she sword. is. Well, yes. <laughs> She's the worst parts of me with a sword. I don't know if I would say that. There's a lot of good in Consasau. I like her. You should. She's me. <laughs> you should like her. <laughs> uh, all right. Fair. So we did this for 61 episodes yes. or no 62 episodes i think i said 61 in the final episode i think i got the number for the last episode wrong it's over a year and or it's about a year and three months really about that's so long yep we did episodes in between that and- so our first episode came out july 11th 2017 so we're going to be coming up on two years in july so yeah it was it was well over a year of the sagranza campaign um i was not wrong there are 52 weeks in a year we did 62 episodes i know i didn't say you're wrong i was just trying to see i'm a smarty pants and i know things i know again i am sound like i am sound this there's no there's there is no line we are the same person so we had never played dungeon world one-to-one before we started this campaign no not we did we, nev- even, did we do a test i feel like we did a test i don't think we did i think we just kind of went into it that was a terrible idea yeah well why, why would we do such a thing i don't know i will say a controversial thing this whole thing was a terrible idea <laughs> because close this out ended with like what 50 npcs that she was in charge of (laughs) and you gave me a sandbox and i found a dune like i just played in this way that you did not expect me to play in at all and it turned into a terrible idea that was wonderful but terrible yeah much like our dog (laughs) it's a wonderful idea but it's also terrible you gotta just get a dig in on our our poor innocent dog it is the tagline to our dog our dog Terrible. Worst decision ever, but we love her. <laughs> <laughs> this is close to sound. Terrible, worst decision ever, but we love her. So what what did you think about Dungeon World one to one? We have um we have sung Dungeon World's praises one to one, but uh we and that's after several weeks of many, many weeks of doing it. Uh but what did you think of it? So I think that Dungeon World works really well and we talk okay backtrack we talked a little bit about this in our pax panel um but i think that dungeon world works really well one-to-one um there are obviously a couple moves that don't work bonds don't work obviously but i mean with some minor changes i think dungeon world worked really really well for the campaign that we told for the one-on-one that we're doing i think it worked really well personally but i'm just the player can you expound on that? Why do you think it worked well? I think it's a simple system that allows you to play around with setting. Um, I think like I the simplicity of it is what makes it easy to use for a one-on-one mm. 
play, mm-hmm. right? Like there's not a lot of mechanics that are weighing you down that rely on other people. There's a few mechanics that rely on other people, but there are ways around that, especially since people have already come up with hacks. Dungeon World is a very hacked game and a hackable game mm-hmm. that um, you can easily find stuff to work around how many players you have or whatever issues that you're having. Um, I mean, we we did it. We talked about the hacks that we used and utilized in our game. Uh, it's just, it's simple, it's easy, and it's hackable. And that makes it good for taking a, a system that wasn't made for one-to-one and turning it into a one-to-one system. Yeah, I think the the modular nature and the, the hackable nature of the Apocalypse Engine games is a huge deal when it comes to allowing for one-to-one play. Mm-hmm. The ability to essentially filter every action down to roll 2d6 plus a stat mm-hmm. which is not is not unique to pbta right you could make the same argument for dungeons and dragons right you could filter down any move to roll d20 but the way that this frames it around a narrative and you're asking what you're doing first and then and then discovering what's happening through play after the role am i making sense I feel like maybe I, I don't, am too tired from work. I don't know, but I will say that that was the most frustrating part of playing this game and playing this system. Describing what I did and then discovering if it worked was very hard to do. I somehow find it easier to do in a group than when it's just me. I will also say one of the downsides to playing one-on-one, I like to bounce ideas off of people and, and get ideas from people, so that's a downside. But the downside that I'm actually going to talk about is fatigue. By the end of the game, I'm exhausted. Yeah. Like, I've made every decision. I've made all of them, which is why I didn't create Sound when I first created her. I did not create her to be Diana, but by the end, she was a very impulsive Diana because by the end of the game, each session, I would be exhausted and I would just react immediately without, like, impulsively without really considering my character that I created. Mm -hmm. And then I create... Diana, who's incredibly impulsive and will punch first before asking questions. I will say that about one to one dungeon world is it is exhausting. Yeah. Um it is it is tiring. I could not imagine playing it for more than an hour at a time. Right. Oh god, yeah. Especially because uh everything is so reactionary and that that we have so much shared narrative control mm-hmm. that you're constantly on. Like you are constantly trying to figure out how to pull the narrative around and, and make the fiction work and it is surprisingly draining yeah. to do one-to-one dungeon world i love it and i think it's great and i think it works really well but i i couldn't like i could gm a full group of dungeon world or like a game of torchbearer for like five hours you and i could never do that no no <laughs> well it's because it's all on the one person every decision is just on me so i don't have to take into account what anybody else is doing none of their analysis paralysis comes into play because i don't have analysis paralysis i just decide so then i just decide and we do it something that in a group would take maybe a minute or two conversation takes five seconds for me mm-hmm. so really we're getting like a five hour play session in an hour it's exhausting though it's exhausting. Yeah. However, I think Dungeon World does a really good job of being modifiable to do one-on-one. Yes. And I would I would argue that most Apocalypse Engine games seem like they would work very well one-on-one. Um, Apocalypse World, I think, would work great. I really think that we could make Monster Hearts work, and I definitely want to give it a shot. I am 
more hesitant on masks for some reason. I think it's the fluctuating the fluctuating stats in the way that everyone needs to have control over each other's stats mm-hmm. makes that feel like I don't think it would work as well one to one, but I've heard of people doing it and we need to I want to investigate that. But yeah, I thought I thought this worked very well and and it has a lot of support for a GM in general, but it especially become, comes in very handy in one to one play because Diana, my wonderful wife, is so chaotic. Yes. <laughs> and always reacted to things in ways I did not expect, which is the same with all games, I, all RPGs. I still don't understand how you did not expect me to react with however I reacted with. The only time I think that I could totally get why you were surprised was the not sword fight with Messia, where she kept trying to fight me and I kept being like, no, I'm just going to leave. Bye. Oh, I was I was very surprised that you refused to duel her. That was the only one where I was like, oh yeah, I could see how he'd be confused by that. But everything else was, I stab him. <laughs> I don't understand how that's confusing. I stab him. What did you think of the city setting? I really liked it. However, again, I, I'd mentioned this before. It was a large sandbox and somebody who was supposed to be a nobody ended up being my love interest. And I know that that's how all games work, mm-hmm. but when it's one-to-one, that focus is, again, zoomed in. Yeah. And so, you know, the the themes and plots and stuff change. When you say somebody who used to be a nobody ended up being a love interest, who are you referring to? Because oh, that could literally describe every single character. Oh, men. Oh, men. The whole thing changed when I tripped oh, men. That was our meet cute. And the whole thing changed. I I guarantee you the like civil rights fighting for the underdog story that ended up happening mm-hmm. is not at all what you had planned when we created our president's daughter runs away like idea. Oh, yeah. No, I totally had. No, really? Yes. Well, OK. Tell me a little bit about that. Why did you why did you choose that as one of the what are, what are they called in Dungeon World? I'm forgetting. It's not a key. A front. A front. Why did you choose that as one of the fronts? Because I like gnolls and I like dogs and I like dog gods. I put dog gods in almost every game I run. So That's not true. You put a lot of alligators in games. I here no. My alligators have been greatly overblown because I did alligators in one game and you, everybody was like, Oh, Zach loves alligators. You've you've done alligators in more than one game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had always wanted to do the thing with the gnolls in Sagranza. From the beginning? Before we even started? Yeah. Oh. I did not expect it to take the shape and tone and context that it did for a number of reasons. We have talked before on like Twitter about how our reaction to your reaction to some of the characters and our shared reaction to the political climate kind of shaped a lot of how we viewed this story Mm -hmm. and i don't think that it necessarily would have taken the same shape without it it just kind of happened It, it formulated over the course of a year and a half right can i ask another question yes was there a front idea that you liked but didn't that like you abandoned pretty early on yes several (laughs) (laughs) do you think you could share any of them i will share one because i think you could probably guess uh at what it is anyway i don't want to get too into it uh or share all of them because i do foresee us coming back to segaranza eventually 
um, at some point. And, and maybe if we never do, I'll, I'll, I don't know, share some of this. But I also like, I don't know, if it wasn't part of the fiction, then is it important? Does it even exist? I like those kinds of questions. Uh, but one front that I had statted up was Akhlun Marir, the Null Goddess of Hunger. That is still very much an active the the god the null gods and stuff are still an active front. Like mm-hmm. I'm still interested in them. Like that you there were like seedlings of that. I mean, like, is there something that you were like, oh, this would be really good? And then like two episodes in, you were like, this is gonna be really bad. I need to drop this. Oh, no. There was just stuff that there wasn't stuff that I didn't like, so it got dropped. There was stuff that we just collectively ignored. Yeah. So it got dropped. Uh namely the devils of Sagranza. Yeah. Yeah. We mostly dropped the devils. That happened very quickly. Like, they Mm -hmm. showed up, and then I was immediately like, I don't remember what you are. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. I will say a lot of that is because I take terrible notes. (laughs) I'm just being honest. I take terrible notes. We, for series two, we both need to get better at our notes. Or... No, we both need to get better at our notes. Okay, but what... No. If I don't? Uh, Then our show will continue... In mediocrity. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. We are actually starting to hit on some questions that listeners wrote in with. Uh, So I think we should switch to listener questions. I put out a call on Twitter and on the patron Discord asking if anybody had any questions for us about the Sagaranza campaign or about running Dungeon World one-on-one. So the first question we got was from Devin Preston at DevPresto on Twitter who initial says their immediate curiosities are what was the initial world building like and what the heck was going on with Sal's dream when she was running with the gnolls. So the dream where Sal was running with the gnolls was an early lead to the uh, Akhlun Maria, who I actually think I changed her name. Yeah, Uh, that's not any of the, that is not a name I'd heard. Oh, no, it is in my also, yes, it is in all of my notes as Akhlun Maria. Uh, I don't think that's the name that I had in the one note that I took. Well, I took one. Uh, well, and it's not the name that I had. I don't have that note in front of me right now <laughs> to reference. But. Uh, she was the Null Goddess of Hunger, and that dream and those series of dreams were a early front move, trying to uh, get Sal towards there, towards that direction. I would like to point out that I tried. To follow up on that mm-hmm. and i got nowhere i got zilch no i, I learned about the biden and that mm-hmm. was the end of that you learned about the biden you learned that the temple of ukurasan was not the real temple you learned all kinds of interesting things that <laughs> i even tried to get to i went dra- to the temple i, I did i went mm-hmm. to the temple mm-hmm. i even tried to drag you into the temple and you were like nope <laughs> I've got other stuff to do, which is fine, which is good, right? Because we needed to pick one thing and deal right. with it. Yeah. But you cannot tell me that I didn't give you enough leads. No, you I didn't literally give grabbed, me any information. grabbed Sal by the wrist and pulled her into the temple at one point, and then you broke off and ran away. I went to the which temple, is, I got nothing. Okay, is this is turning into a fight. So. <laughs> um, but so so yeah, that's, that's what the dream was. Uh, that was also, I never quite figured out why Sal was getting the dreams specifically and there are I have a lot of ideas still about reasons why that might be 
And I think that would probably be an interesting thing to explore in the future. Or maybe it's just something we never find. Yeah. Uh, And the initial world building was heavily inspired by my um, finding the city of uh, Gardaia. uh, G-H-A-R-D-A-I-A. Which I hope that I'm pronouncing that correctly. Gardaia is a city in Algeria that is built inside of the Mzab Valley. It's called a wadi, which is a specific type of a valley in a desert environment uh, in that region of the world. And I designed the cities of the Pentopolis uh, heavily inspired by the images that I saw of Gardaia and a similar city, uh, Tagit. Um, which is also in Algeria. Uh, that is an oasis city, and also in Awadi. And I found these cities, and I really fell in love with the imagery and their architecture, and I really wanted to set a sort of swords and sandals style game in a city like this. Mm-hmm. And then that's sort of what we did. Yeah, there was a lot of swords. And yeah, I basically just picked a lot of imagery that I liked and that was that spoke to me. I like I said, I love dogs, I love dog gods, and I love gnolls. Um, and I threw a for my world building. I just kind of threw a bunch of stuff together. This actually um, had me. I went and found my notes called Campaign One, and it has a whole bunch of like details that we just never ended up using. Are you going to use any of them for other games? I don't know. It's it's so funny to read these early notes, though. Like, uh, marauding knoll tribes roam the Esha steppes, which I hate that name now. I hate that I called them the Esha. I, I don't think I would. Worshipping gods of blood and chaos. Not true. Destroying whatever comes across their path. There's, Why do you hate Esha? I just don't think it's a good name. Huh. There's a minority population of peaceful gnolls living within the walls of Segranza. They have frequently been harassed by mobs and targeted by ruling guilds, though the current architects guild tends to view them favorably. That was like my own. That was my idea for how to include gnolls. Yeah. And I hadn't really decided that what I wanted to do with them yet. Don't worry. Sound took care of that for you. Sound did take care of it. Just took care of that for you. Oh yeah, and then I have notes on Ukora Sound de Segranza that. We never use like there's a lot here that we never ended up using, which I enjoy. And maybe we'll get to it one day and maybe it'll just remain a mystery. Mary Wander at Echo Located asks uh, you, how did you feel sound evolved over the course of the story? How did the world evolve as she did? So I guess that's both of us. Yeah. I said it a couple times while we were recording. Like, I would mention her mental state. Like, she's just killed a man. She's probably pretty shaken up. She's running on adrenaline. She's pretty shaken up. I think I think the biggest way that sound evolved is she started realizing sort of the impact of her decisions. I don't think she really thought about the impact of her decisions when she first started this journey. And then, like, every decision that she made got somebody hurt while she was in the city. And I think that started to really hit home for her and then she murdered a man and then she just kept murdering men and so i think she started i i do think that's how she kind of started maturing she started realizing the impact of her decisions and how largely they impact the people that they're impacting i keep using the word impact i should change that she started realizing how impactful her decisions were on the people that those decisions were affecting and i think that's really the main way that she grew but i'll be honest once she gets to forza 
I expect her to have a mental breakdown because she didn't really have one. Well, she murdered several men and has not dealt with it. And like was almost murdered herself multiple times. She started a war. She finished a war. She got these weird visions. She maybe fell in love. I don't know. There's also this Noel that she has this relationship with. Like her life was upended in a way that she could have never predicted. Girl has suffered trauma and has not dealt with it. And so I expect some sort of nervous breakdown, but it'll be off camera. That's uh... how am I? No, nervous breakdowns are like they're not pleasant noises for the radio. What? It's a lot of screaming and yelling. Oh, and crying. you're saying like, that's why it was off screen? Yeah, it has to be off screen. It's very unpleasant for the radio. Yeah, I know. I'm not. You just looked disappointed that it wasn't going to be on the screen. No, I was disappointed that that was happening to Sal, who um, I love. I don't want that on. No. I think you just look disappointed that we weren't going to record. You're just very used to me asking you to role play sometimes. Especially the way we're sitting right now with microphones in front of us. I do need to up my role play. I don't don't role play terribly much. As far as how the world evolved as sounded, the world was very reactionary to Sal's actions. I'm not sure how I would say the world evolved. Like, I would love for there to be some sort of arc showing how Sal grew to recognize her actions and how the world and the narrative grew to match or to mirror that. Mm -hmm. And I I really think the only, the, the example I can think of is when Sal started caring about, about the issue of the Knowles Mm -hmm. and not the mystery of the missing goddesses or um, the mystery of what's going on with the temple. And as Sal decided that the most important issue in Segaranza was this injustice, it became the most important issue. Yeah. And I have serious con- continued concerns over whether or not we handle that issue correctly or 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 to the, the, the best way that issue can and should be handled but i think it is the genuine way that you and i that's how we did it in the game and in the narrative that we built together as we are processing our own feelings about things yeah foam soldier at foam soldier i don't know why i said gavin at foam soldier says did you ever play around with messiah's motives slash drives she always seemed power hungry and i was wondering if you toyed around with having her have a more noble cause or if she was always a baddie when i went digging around to uh to look at those old fronts i discovered that messiah was originally described as her description was misguided good was her tag her impulse was to do what is right no matter the cost and her like i described her as this lawful naive mm-hmm. basically i don't think i ever intended for messiah to be the big bad i don't even think i intended for her to be a a full bad i think when i first conceived of messiah it would have been absolutely possible for you to get her on your side but i think as we explored her she just became worse and worse and worse until eventually she was just this irredeemable monster that was that was out for complete control. Right. But we only saw Messia through the eyes of Constasin and her reactions to this obnoxious, young, rich girl coming into her city and upending what she's doing. Like, Messia could have been a good person, I guess. 
but we only ever saw her through the lens of Concesão. We really only saw Sagaranza through the lens of Concesão. Yeah, but I think the 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 I think the reality of Sagaranza is shaped by how Concesão saw it. In the end, we were able to include a little bit of complexity with Masia, uh, which may never get answered. We kind of left that hanging in the last yeah. episode. You saved her life so that she could be questioned, but we never found out what the answers to those questions were. While there may be some complexity, there is no redemption for Masia. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely did consider it early on, but I dropped it pretty quickly. Yeah. Time Paradox at Moogie Puppy asks... Who is currently leading the race to Sal's heart in Sal's point of view? So I really struggle with this one, and my answer should not be a surprise at all. It is a tie between Evaristu and Omen. And I struggle with this one because I want there to be like a love triangle, you know? Mm-hmm. But I do think that Gonsasau is conflicted about any romantic feelings that she has towards Omen. Why? Several reasons. One... I think there's a little bit of guilt. Like, I wasn't kidding. This all started, at least for sound, because she tripped a guy. Because she thought he was just a criminal. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so everything else that happened is because she tripped Omen. She put him in danger. Everything that has happened has happened because of that move. And I, she hasn't forgotten it. Like, she still thinks about it. Uh, I think a lot has happened in that week that she was in Segaranza, essentially. Like... This whole thing feels like it took place in a week, but yeah. it took us a year and a half to do. I think so. I think there's a little bit of like a conflict there. I also think that there's a conflict with Evristu, kind of for the same base reason. I think she feels like she owes them. She owes both of them. So there's like this complex feeling. Like Evristu is because of his parents and because she got him imprisoned as well for her involvement. And then Omen is because like his whole his whole life was essentially upended because she tripped him. A war was started because she tripped some guy. So there's that there's just like a really complex feeling there. I also I went back and forth, Diana did. I went back and forth on whether or not I wanted Omen to be more of like a brotherly relationship mm. than a romantic one. That's fair. I don't really struggle with it now, but I did for a little while. So like so I guess for a while Constance was thinking Maybe I think of him more as a brother than I do as a romantic interest. Yeah. But real talk, it's tied. It's a tie between those two. It really is. And and they both have the same level of complexity and they both have the same level of complications. And she spent a lot more time with him. In. You think? I feel like she spent more time with Esteban. Not Esteban. Evaristu. No, I think she spent more time with Omen. But Evaristu, she spent more time. Like, towards the end, if you tally it all up, she probably spent the same amount of time with them. But she mm. spent more quality time with Omen, I think. I, yeah, that's fair. Uh, Time Paradox also asks, are there any future plans to return to Segaranza after the war has been won and the people have had time to rebuild? Uh, we, nothing solid, no. but I am definitely, uh, yes, I want to. Is that when we would return, though? Would we time skip in I, the yeah, journey? Yeah, I, I think we'd time skip a little yeah. bit. Also, how many taints has Sal sliced over the course of the series? I didn't keep account. Did I you? Didn't, I didn't either. However, I did not... I don't actually think I stabbed anybody in the taint except for the very first time. You just said you were going to a lot. I don't because think that's true. You, I think you did a few times. Because I don't think you would let me. <laughs> there were so many times where I was like, I'm going to stab them in the taint. And then we would get into an argument about whether or not you could stab someone in the taint. I still hold that you can. You do not wear armor on your undercarriage. 
<laughs> I still think you can stab someone there if you get underneath their legs in a cool super like super action movie move. I still think you can stab them there. But so I did not keep track. If someone wants to go back and listen to 61 episodes of my nonsense and listen for the stabbing, you can tell me. But I feel like it was probably only actually once or twice, but it came up just about every time I fought someone. I feel like it was, it's more like four or five, I think. We'll have to keep track of the stabbing of taints in the next, <sighs> next one. There won't be any stabbing. I'm going to be a very <laughs> different character. Maybe I'll go for the armpit. Will we get an epilogue of what happens to the NPCs after Sal gets dragged home by Nunu? Will we? Only if we return, we'll hear what happened to yeah. them. I would like to return to all of them if if we return. Uh, as well as, what was the original drive or story behind introducing the demons of Segaranza? Did they originally have a larger story, or was it always going to be Messiah? Uh, without giving too much away, because I do think that this is a front that is still open, and I think very important... Uh, the devils were originally the main front. Um, oh, were they really? Yeah. Huh. They were, well, because you have this whole city system, this essentially this whole country that's based around having to live in walled cities so that the devils can't get you. Um, and this whole uh, trade and uh, all, like, Ukurasan is a giant Sephira uh, crystal to protect from devils so the devils were originally the main front and they kind of just evolved into a a minor nuisance and a little creepy thing that i could kind of throw in um i think if we do return to segaranza we're gonna I- i'm gonna push the devils a lot harder and that's going to be the big thing i even if we go back to the setting um, I've even considered going back to the setting and time skipping a hundred years and yeah. being like, okay, so this is where this, this is where this setting is, and what are we gonna do? Right. Now, I don't know how accurate this theory is, but my theory is that the dreams that Sam was having about the Null gods and the temple not being the temple but being the temple and the devils that they are all connected. And that there is a reason that the devils are showing up more and that sound was getting the dreams. That's my theory. That's a good... I just haven't been able to jam it all together and get enough information. Yeah. I'm really mad that you're telling me that I did <laughs> that I didn't do things when I feel like I did things. Which is why which is the benefit of having more people at the table because they can look at something a mm-hmm. little bit differently than you do. And it's the huge, huge drawback that I have for one-on-one play. That's the thing. If we had had a full party, all of this stuff would have gotten addressed. Yeah. Because different people would have latched on to different things mm-hmm. and we could have addressed it all simultaneously. Yep. But because it's just one person, you you find what you're interested in. Right. Which is why I am discovering that the scope needs to be narrowed down significantly for one-to-one campaign play. Yeah. Needs, to, needs to be very narrow. Or... So, okay. Or bigger, because it can't be bigger. I will latch on to the one kid I trip, and then that's the end of well, it. No, okay, so here's the thing. Uh, so here's the idea that I literally just had based on this question. Steve at Tango Golf Kilo asked, If I were to design a one-to-one dungeon world campaign for my significant other, totally hypothetically, of course, what type of setting do you think would be the most conducive for that kind of play? Any other tips generally for one-to-one play? So... Do you have any other, like, do you have any, like, general tips? As a player, I think it's more, imp- and I struggle with actually role-playing when I role-play games. 
I will usually just be like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And then I do the thing instead of role playing that I'm doing the thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's more important to role play the thing when you're doing one on one play. Otherwise, you're telling like a half an hour story. Like, I think you have to role play it. And I think that focus is important to remember as a player. Also, another thing to remember as a player is that your GM is another player and you can bounce ideas off of your GM and you should be bouncing ideas off of your GM. Now, they can't always give you super helpful advice like another player at the table would, but they can help guide you. And those are two things that I've learned over 62 episodes (laughs) of this. Yeah, I think all the stuff that we've said before, be mindful that it's going to take a lot more energy. Arguably try to narrow down uh, the scope. Uh, But as I read your question, I had another idea for the opposite, which was blow up the scope immensely. (laughs) You've got your crazy GM face on. Like, this is what happens when you roll straight sixes. So here's my idea that I would love for us to try now. Right Uh, now? Like to play? No, not right now. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, One day, far down the line, heart points will be dead before we ever get to this. There is an amazing supplement for Dungeon World. Uh, I believe it's published by Magpie Games called The Green Law of Varkith. And The Green Law of Varkith is a setting supplement, Mm -hmm. but it also includes rules for guild play. So in The Green Law of Varkith, you are members of a guild and your guild is clashing against other guilds. And it's built for the city called Varkith. But I have I've taken those guild rules before and, and put them in settings of my own design. And what I think I would like to do is use the Green Law of Varketh to set up a guild, and then you wouldn't play an individual character, Diana. You would play a whole guild of characters. So you would play the guild, and then for different missions that the guild was going on, you could play individual members of the guild going out and doing jobs. So you could play like the wizard of the guild and the rogue of the guild. And like you would have different specialized missions to try to advance your guild's power. And then you could make guild moves. No. that Why? why? That's too many people for me to keep track of. I had a hard enough time with Consa Sao and her 50 NPCs. It's like, but it would be like, a bunch of one shots, right? Just all tied together by the thread of you're advancing your your own guild. That's true. But also the amount of work that you would have to do and then the amount of housework that I would have to pick up is not reasonable for me. Diana. Zach. I just got an idea for another podcast. Oh, shock and surprise. <laughs> Every time you talk, you get another idea for a podcast. <laughs> All right, well, we got, we'll talk about it off the air. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, this is going to be a terrible problem. <laughs> all right, questions. Do we have any more? Uh, no, that was all of the questions. Thank you all for writing in on those. Is there anything else you want to say about, um, about Sagranza before we put it to rest for a little while? Would you ever want to play in Sagranza? I would love to play in Sagaranza. I really like this setting, and I really like how it has evolved. And I have, like, I would love to sit down and actually write, like, a setting Bible and, uh, like, a sort of supplement. But that would take so much work. And I don't know if it would be, I don't know if there's enough there to do that it, like, deserves a supplement. But mm-hmm. I, I would love to, to write out a Bible for 
uh, Sagranza and the steps and the Pentopolis and, uh, and play around with that more and, and see what else was going on in the other cities. That'll never happen. I will never GM for you, but that's cool. Rude. Yeah. <laughs> also a lie. I know. A blatant lie. I know. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that puts a I think that puts a cap on Sagranza, at least for at least for a little while. So epilogue. Consta sounds in the steps, she dies. It's no that that, that knoll you that can't... she fought with in the beginning, the very thing the very first thing that she did, that one murders her. Diana That's you, what happens. If it if it's spoiler on, alert. If it's on the pod, it's real. Spoiler alert. It becomes she dies. canon. She's dead. That is not dead true. Sound. That is not canon. No, it's not canon. But I will tell you, 62 episodes in, every third episode, I was like, I'm ready for her to die now. 62 episodes is a long time to play that character. To play any character. Here's, listen, I tried. I really wanted to make you roll Last Breath. I, it was my goal. It was my sincere goal at the end to make you roll Last Breath. and You gave me luck and, oh, for whatever reason, just a stupid good rapier. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You were you were too strong. And what level did Sal end up at the end? So I made a decision without talking to you. I had enough experience points. I'm going to go ahead and assume that I camped at some point during this journey and leveled up at the very end. Okay. Which was then put me at an eight. Dang, you almost maxed out your level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I had a hard time gaining XP. I did actually have a hard time but- gaining it. Yeah, we didn't do a lot of end session stuff, but you were the only one rolling, yeah. so you were the one you were the only one missing. Yep. We're gonna try different systems next. Yeah. And see I what happens. So. I think so. It's gonna be fun. I'm excited. So some housekeeping. Next week's episode is going to be our Breakout Con retrospective, where we talk about our trip to Breakout Con in Ooh. Toronto. The week after that is going to be our live show with the Headstrong Comedy Festival at Thirsty Dice. It was a lot of fun. We did a two-player co-GM improv dungeon. Yes, that sure was an experience. <laughs> sure was an experience. It was me. interesting. I thought it was fun. Yeah, it was. No, it was fun. It still wasn't an. I would still describe it as an experience. So that'll take us to April 29th. After that, for the months of May and June, we are going bi-weekly. Yes. So we're only going to release episodes every other week in May and June. We need to figure out what our next game is, and we need to get a little bit of a buffer. Yes. We're trying to develop a buffer. We're trying to work on figuring out how we can um, develop the pod further and make it better, increase the quality, make it sound better, do some cool stuff that I want to experiment with. And in order to do that, we are we feel like we need to build up a buffer so that uh, Zach has more time to edit because we sometimes we get him our episodes on Sunday and they need to go up on Monday. Uh, and we're also moving this month, so we're kind of in a frantic mode. Uh, so we're we're just trying to get all of our ducks in a row, and we apologize for the change. Um, we're really sorry, but we think that this is going to make the podcast better. We think that um, with all of your help, we're going to make the podcast better. And we're really excited for where we are going to go from here. I think we're going to do some really cool stuff. I'm very excited. And I think you guys hopefully won't notice the change in our schedule too, too much because 
Zach really likes Twitter, just like so much likes Twitter. I think you guys will get your fill of heart points. I'm going to be on Twitter all the time. I'm, I would love, and we haven't figured it out yet, but I would love to supplement it with maybe streams occasionally or, or, or something um, just a little bit so that you guys don't forget about us on the weeks that we're not showing up in your feed. Uh, we apologize again. And we uh, thank you so much for understanding and for sticking by us anyway. All right, folks, that's it for this week. We want to thank you so much for joining us. And we really hope that you enjoyed this retrospective ex- expose. I don't know. Yeah. We want to shout out Zach B, our editor and producer. If you didn't hear a cat eating, it's because of him. So thanks, Zach B. We also want to thank In Love with a Ghost for the use of their song Chilling at Nemo's Place off of the album Healing. You can find In Love with a Ghost at inlovewiththeghost.bandcamp.com. Please make sure to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how other people find us. And now might be a really great time for them to catch up on 62 episodes. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah, is now a perfect time to recommend us to someone or a terrible time to recommend us to someone? I think it's a perfect time since we're going to be going bi-weekly in the months of May and June. That's all you need. You just need two months to catch up on 62 episodes episodes that's 62 hours how many days is that several several is accurate (laughs) several is accurate Uh, i think less than three yes you can find us on twitter and facebook at heart points pod please follow us and join us for discussions about rpgs and podcasts and anything else please make sure to share us with everyone you know especially your rpg loving friends We want to say thank you to our patrons for allowing us to keep this show going. If you would like to become a patron of this show, please find us at patreon.com forward slash heartpointspod. If you become a patron, you get some really cool things like access to our patron-only Discord, monthly campfire pod, and other things. Every dollar makes a huge, huge difference. Uh, This week, we just want to thank all of our patrons. We want to give a very special thank you to everyone who has come out and supported us. Uh, It has been the first full month of the Patreon, and we cannot thank all of you enough who have donated to uh, help um, keep the show going, to make it better. Uh, It means so much to us. You are the people who are uh, helping to continue Make Heart Points an even better podcast, and we could not do it without you. Your support and patronage has made a huge difference to us. Thank you all again for joining us in Sagranza today. We hope as you return back to the real world that you continue to have a very nice day. But like a very, very nice one. Very nice one.